Lord God, we've, uh, we've just sung together those uh, amazing words that we trust in your word, we trust in your cross, we trust in your faithfulness, Jesus' blood. And now as we come to turn to your word, your word given to us in the Bible, but we want to trust it to set us free. We want to trust it to change our lives, to be your power at work in us, to change us. And so, Lord, I pray as we look together some of the stories in, in the Bible, in your word to us, that you would use it to change us, to transform us. Lord, we want to say that we trust it. We trust it to be your word to us. And, Lord God, we want it to be your power at work in us. So we pray, Lord, come now through your spirit to uh, bring your word alive to us, to change us and transform us. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. So we're talking about cynicism, and I uh, thought I'd do another quiz. <laughs> I thought I'd, Simon's a keen fan of this quiz. Uh, so I thought, I thought we would, we would uh, do a, a quiz together. And I, I want you to tell me whether you think these are true or false, these statements, whether they're true or false. So the first one is this. A jellyfish can be as small as a thimble or as large as two washing machines. Is that true or false? True? We think that might be true? Okay, what about this one? A large python can swallow a goat whole. We think that's true? Okay. What about uh, this one? A sneeze travels at 100 miles an hour. We think that one's true as well? Okay. What about this one? Slugs have 3,000 teeth and four noses. We think that might be true. Is anybody who thinks that's false? Oh, yeah, we've got some false people. Okay. What about this one? 99% of people can't lick their own elbows. <laughs> you could try it if you want to test it out. If you, <laughs> so we think that might be true. How about this? Hippo sweat is red. Olive thinks that's true. So we've got somebody thinking, well, we're not sure about that. What about this one? Children will blink five million times a year. Possible. How about this one? Scents smell better through your right nostril than your left. Is that true or false, do you reckon? False, okay. What about this one? Earthworms have five hearts. Earthworms have five hearts. Some people think that's true. This last one. Hot dogs can last more than 20 years in a landfill. I'm not sure. Well, let me tell you, they are all true. And those of you who thought some of them were false are cynics. And you need to listen really carefully to what we're talking about this morning. Actually, those things are all true. Now, uh, the antidote to cynicism, and we'll talk a little bit about the dangers of cynicism, but the antidote to cynicism is, I think, gratitude. And I, I want to show you something. If you've been in my office... You'll have probably noticed this uh, on the wall. This is a picture of one of my, my favorite artists, Kathy Burton, uh, and it's signed by her. She's coming, by the way, again. She's been here to do some concerts with us before, some gigs with us before, with a guy called Dan Wheeler. She's coming again, the end of our Hope Week that's coming up uh, uh, just after the uh, Easter Sunday, a couple of weeks after Easter Sunday, and they're coming to finish off our Hope Week uh, with us on a Saturday evening. But uh, this was given to me, and this is why I wanted to show you this. I mean, it's neither here nor there that it's Kathy Burton, really, in, unless you like her like I do. But um, when you see this in my office, the reason I put this up in my office 
is because this was given to me as a gift. And uh, a while ago, you know, those of you who were around know we started a, a new uh, congregation called uh, Explore, and we've subsequently merged all back together again. But uh, on the fifth anniversary of Explore, uh, we had a big dinner together for all those people who were involved in it, and we said thank you to the team who set it up in the first place and who were still around, as about half the team was still around five years later. And uh, we said thank you to them, and we gave them gifts, and we honored them for what they'd done. And at the end of the evening, totally unexpectedly, uh, some people called Ruth and I up to the front. And uh, the congregation had got together and got us various gifts, and this was one of them, uh, to say thank you to us for leading that congregation for five years. And uh, this is why this is so special to me and why I have it up on the wall of my office. Not really because it's her, although I, you know, I think she's great, but because it was given to me as a thank you gift. Uh, and people have gone out of their way to do something special for us, to say thank you for uh, what we've done in the life of that congregation. And gratitude is the antidote to cynicism. And that's why I keep around with me reminders of gratitude. And cynicism is a, a fact of life in Britain today. Uh, and in fact, we as a, a nation are one of the worst in the world at being cynical. You notice I lived in America for a year, and you notice how they have a completely different attitude as a nation to us. Their default position is not cynicism. It's one of hopefulness and a can-do kind of spirit. But we have uh, very often a default position of cynicism. And uh, I found this article on a blog a little while ago, or last week, about uh, Alistair Campbell and Tony Blair, uh, not Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, because both of them, haven't they, have been crying on telly recently. Uh, Gordon Brown in an interview with Piers Morgan and Alistair Campbell in an interview with uh, Andrew Marr. And they were both in tears about various uh, different things. Gordon Brown about the tragic death of his daughter and Alistair Campbell when he was asked about whether the country were misled about going to war with Iraq. And I found a, a blog here about that and about how people have responded with cynicism to those uh, acts, saying, well, it's ironic, isn't it? Cynical, uh, isn't it, that this has happened just as we're about to have a general election uh, and how our politicians are suddenly very contrite after the expenses scandal. And let me just read you a little bit of this. It says, grown men crying on TV operate, it seems like bu uh, buses. You wait ages for one and then three come along at once. In little more than a week, we've had Peter Andre, Alistair Campbell and Gordon Brown all welling up during interviews. We're well used to the pop culture celebrity circus eliciting emotionally charged responses, but it's less, a less frequent sight in the dry-eyed political arena. So what prompted Alistair and Gordon's tears? For Campbell, it was Andrew Marr's suggestion that his former boss, Tony Baer, misled Parliament over the intelligence for going to war in Iraq. In Brown's case, it was talking to Piers Morgan about the death of his baby daughter. The expenses scandal might indicate that a degree of cynicism is in order when it comes to politicians. But should that really extend to a default position whereby a significant aspect of their very humanity is denied? That was in response to the cynicism that had been poured out about whether they were really in tears meaning it or whether this was just a political stunt. Sometimes cynicism is justified. I guess we might look back at the reasons we were given for going to war in Iraq and be slightly cynical about that, and we might have some justification for that. Sometimes there is no justification for cynicism. The problem is 
that if we live with cynicism all the time, if that is our default position, it is bad for us. Because living with cynicism all the time steals our hope, it steals our joy, and most significantly of all, it hardens our hearts. But we are showed the way of cynicism all the time. It is all around us. And that's why in Britain we're some of the unhappiest people in the world, surveys tell us. I remember many years ago going to Kenya and living with some Kenyan young people right out in the bush in Kenya. And these people had nothing. And they were living in huts. And yet they were some of the happiest people I'd ever met. And were certainly far happier than many of the people I knew in Britain. Cynicism steals our hope, our joy, our happiness, and it hardens our hearts. But the good news is there is an antidote, and that is gratitude. You know, the truth is that life is good. Yes, of course, there is often pain and suffering attached to life. But life itself is a good thing. Life as it was intended by God to be lived is good and is a gift. And our default position should not be cynicism, but it should be gratitude at the gift of life God has given to us. Living with a heart of gratitude is a better way for us to live. The alternative to a life of gratitude is a life of cynicism. And I confess, of all the default positions we've been talking about throughout this series, this is my one. This is my worst one, cynicism. This is sometimes my heart. But a heart that is full of cynicism is a heart that is chronically unhealthy. And a heart of cynicism is a heart of discontent, a heart of complaint, a heart of judgment, and a heart of dissatisfaction. That's the heart of a person who lives with a demanding spirit and without any sense of awe and wonder. Sort of person who takes, takes stuff, takes people and relationship, takes days and weeks and months for granted. It's the sort of person who lives with a sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to all that I have. I'm entitled to take what I want. Cynicism and ingratitude makes the heart grow smaller, makes it grow harder and colder day after day. And it's a miserable way to live. And I think if all of us were truly honest this morning, all of us would have to say that we live sometimes with a cynical and ungrateful heart. We see ourselves as a victim. And that has bred in us sometimes bitterness and a sense of entitlement. But, back to the good news. That a default attitude of thankfulness or of gratitude is a better way to live and breeds out of us the cynical heart. Living with a heart of gratitude is better for us and is a better way to live. So how can we do that? How can we live with a heart of gratitude? Well, I want to turn now to a story from Jesus' life. It's in Luke chapter 17, verse 11 onwards. And it's the story of Jesus healing ten men with leprosy. And it's a story about gratitude and ingratitude. And it goes like this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. 
they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is an incredibly poignant story. And we need to understand a bit about leprosy to really be able to get into this story and understand it. This is how leprosy was in Jesus' day. It began in someone with a general sense of fatigue and pain in the joints. And then people would begin to get patches and nodules on their skin. And those would turn into lumps that would eventually make people unrecognizable. The lumps would ulcerate and there would be a foul stench emitting from them. Someone with leprosy would lose their eyebrows and their voices would become hoarse because their vocal cords would ulcerate. So their voices would rasp and their breathing would wheeze. And for someone, the first sign of leprosy in Jesus' day was a death sentence. But it would take them a while to die. And for all of that time, they were considered to be unclean. They weren't allowed to go near healthy people because people could catch it from them. Very often they were pelted with eggs or with stones. So if you had leprosy, people stayed away from you. You were isolated even from your own family. You weren't allowed to touch anyone. Now imagine that. Imagine never being able to touch anyone again or never be touched. Never be able to hug someone or embrace them. So leprosy was not just about the physical pain of the disease and physical loss. It was about isolation as well and an isolating stigma. So imagine this is you in this story. You're one of the ten lepers. You're in the later stages of the disease. You're isolated, alone. The only people you're allowed any contact with are the people in the same position as you. You're emaciated in great pain, and you know there is no hope for you, and you're going to die. Nobody can do anything for you. And then you meet Jesus. And he doesn't heal you instantly. But instead he asks you to go and see the priests. Well, in Jesus' day, if a leper was cleansed, if by some miracle uh, the, the disease was healed, somebody who'd been healed from leprosy had to go to the priest to be declared clean again so they could come back into contact with people. And what Jesus is doing when he says to you, go and see the priests, he's challenging you to trust him. He's challenging you to be obedient. Would you have done it if you were them? Well, I guess we might well have done because we would have been so desperate and we'd have heard that Jesus could heal people. So when he says, go and see the priests, we'd have said, well, there's nothing to lose. I might as well do it. I'm desperate. So we go 
to see the priest. And somewhere on the way, we're healed. The Bible tells us that somewhere on the way to see the priests, we are healed. As they went, they were cleansed. And the disease goes completely. And you know it because the ulcers and the lumps are all gone and the pain has dissolved away. And so now the nightmare is over. Hope has returned. You can hug people, see people without them reeling and isolating you. So how would you feel if that was you? Well, I suspect we would have felt unbelievably thankful. We'd have felt really excited. What would we have done? What would you have done in that position? Imagine it now. What would you have done? I suspect that you or I might have danced in the streets. We might have hurried to see our families and our friends. We might have wanted to have gone and hugged our wife or our children. What do we do in that situation? Do we go back and say thank you to the man who has healed us? Of the ten, the Bible says, only one went back to say thank you. And it's interesting that what we're told is that the one goes back in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now this is really poignant because remember he would have had this hoarse, ulcerated voice. He would never have been able to have raised his voice. He would have been whispering in a hoarse kind of tone. And so when the verse says that he went and praised God in a loud voice, that's really poignant because now he's able to do it because he's been healed. He's not hoarse anymore. And so he goes back and he thanks Jesus over and over again. He has a heart of gratitude. But then hear Jesus and hear, I think, the hurt in his voice. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? I think there's hurt here in Jesus' voice. Where are the other nine? Why has only one come back to say thank you? And a Samaritan at that. Someone who would uh, never have been expected to have come back. The one who was least expected to come and be grateful. Because the Jews, Jesus, and the Samaritans hated each other. And yet it is the Samaritan that comes back. Isn't this so often the case in God's kind of world that it's the most unlikely exhibits the behavior that we need to learn from and grow in? And that people in Jesus' day needed to learn from and grow in. The one that the Jews needed to learn from was the Samaritan who they hated. And yet it's the Samaritan who comes back. And actually we need to see here too the change in the Samaritan. Because the Samaritan would have hated the Jews and all that they stood for. And yet he comes back. The Samaritan who knew nothing of God comes back praising God in a loud voice. There is a change in the Samaritan. And that's what gratitude can do. It can change our hearts. There is no hate anymore in the Samaritan, only joy. There is no unbelief in the Samaritan now, only faith and praise for God. That's what gratitude can do. It can change a heart. 
And it's changed this Samaritan's heart. And gratitude can change our hearts too. The Samaritan leper discovers what we are discovering together this morning. That living with a heart of gratitude is better for us and is a better way to live. And we need to understand too, Jesus is hurt that only one would come back and say thank you. God, Jesus longs for us to live with a heart of gratitude for all that they, God, Jesus, Spirit, have given to us. But the thing about gratitude is that you can't force yourself to be grateful. You can't force yourself to feel grateful. Gratitude involves a way of seeing or perceiving or understanding feelings in the heart and then expressing those feelings. You can't flip a switch and make yourself a grateful person. And one of the things we've been saying all the way through this series is a habit forms over time. Typically, they reckon about 21 days it takes to form a habit. So we've been encouraging each other to form habits. The first week I was talking, we were encouraging each other to learn a verse of the Bible as a habit. I hope you're still doing that. And today I want to encourage you to spend the next 21 days being grateful, living with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. And when you spot yourself being cynical, stop. Recognize this is a default position that is unhealthy for you and change. How do we cultivate a grateful heart? Well, briefly, I want to walk you through five ways, five paths to a grateful heart that if we're willing to follow in the next 21 days, I think will create a habit in us that will change us from cynics into people who are thankful. The first one is to be grateful for imperfect gifts. Be grateful for imperfect gifts. The truth is our lives will never be perfect. Our bodies will never be perfect. All of us are living with imperfect bodies. But they're bodies given to us by God nonetheless. And we need to be grateful for them. All of us are living with imperfect lives. With lives that to some degree or another contain pain and hurt and suffering. Life is imperfect until we get to heaven and we're with God. But life is still a gift from God, even when it's imperfect. And we need to be grateful for it. We need to learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. The second thing to do is to learn to be grateful in times of worry and frustration. It's easy to be grateful when everything's good. Far more difficult to be grateful when we're worried or frustrated. But even in those times, we can find things to be grateful for. Even tiny things, small things. And we can be grateful for them. The third thing is just to express gratitude openly and often. We said this in the first one of these series. The way to change a default attitude sometimes is to just do it. Just do it. Express gratitude often to people around you. Because it won't only change your heart, it'll change their hearts too. I keep a folder. Somebody, when I first became a minister, advised me to do this. To keep a folder uh, called encouragements or thankfulness. And this is a folder in which whenever anybody sends me an email or a note or a card saying, that was great, really appreciated that, really valued that, that really touched me, 
that if it's an email, I print it off. And if it's a card, I stick it in here. And sometimes when I'm feeling, what am I doing? (laughs) What's going on? Where is God? Am I really making a difference? I go and I open this folder and I start reading it. And so if you're one of the people who's done that for me, I can only say thank you to you. And your thing will be in here. And it changes my heart when I read them. So doing something to say thank you, sending an email, dropping a card, putting a note through somebody's door to say thank you, not only changes your heart, it changes their hearts too. One of our objectives for this year is to be more thankful as a church. So just start saying thank you to people. People who served you this morning in some way. People who give you a cup of coffee or uh, gave you a bulletin on the way in. Or who you know are going to stack the chairs when you leave. Or who are doing the sound desk. Whatever it is, just say thank you to them. That will make their day. And it will begin to change your heart too. So the third thing, just express gratitude. The fourth thing is, devote yourself to giving thanks to God. That's an act of worship. When we're here together worshipping God, we're giving thanks to him. And so devote yourself to giving thanks to God, to finding things to say thank you to God for. And this ties into our fifth one. Just develop a discipline of noticing things to be grateful for. When you wake up in the morning, notice that you're awake and give thanks to God for the gift of another day. Notice things to be grateful for. We did this, didn't we, before Christmas in our series on wonder. Noticing things to be grateful for. Now just imagine if we lived a life like this. If we lived a life of gratitude, not cynicism. And actually gratitude flows out of a vision. It's of a vision of learning to see that all of life is a gift. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, Here ends another day during which I have had eyes, ears, hands and the great world around me. Tomorrow begins another day. Why am I allowed to? I think that's a great quote. Why am I allowed to? Gratitude is a better way to live. And it honors God. So we need to be learned to be grateful for imperfect gifts. Learn to be grateful in times of worry and frustration. Express gratitude open and often. Devote yourself to giving thanks to God and develop a discipline of noticing things to be grateful for because then we'll become like the leper who went back to say thank you and like his heart was changed our hearts will be changed and living with a heart of gratitude is better for us and is a better way to live